Section 14 of Jurisprudence. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Colleen McMahon. Jurisprudence by John Salmon. Section 14. Chapter 9. Precedent. Part 2. Section 66. Precedents constitutive, not abrogative. We have already seen the falsity of the theory that all precedents are declaratory. We have seen that they possess a distinct and legally recognized law-creating power. This power, however, is purely constitutive and in no degree abrogative. Judicial decisions may make law, but they cannot alter it, for where there is settled law already on any point, the duty of the judges is to apply it without question, and they have no authority to substitute for it law of their own making. Their legislative power is strictly limited to supplying the vacancies of the legal system, to filling up with new law the gaps which exist in the old, to supplementing the imperfectly developed body of legal doctrine. This statement, however, requires two qualifications. In the first place, it must be read subject to the undoubted power of the courts to overrule or disregard precedents in the manner already described. In its practical effect, this is equivalent to the exercise of abrogative power, but in legal theory it is not so. The overruling of a precedent is not the abolition of an established rule of law. It is an authoritative denial that the supposed rule of law has ever existed. The precedent is so treated not because it has made bad law, but because it has never in reality made any law at all. It is not conformed to the requirements of legal efficacy. Hence it is that the overruling of a precedent, unlike the repeal of a statute, has retrospective operation. The decision is pronounced to have been bad ab initio. A repealed statute, on the contrary, remains valid and applicable as to matters arising before the date of its repeal. The overruling of a precedent is analogous not to the repeal of a statute, but to the judicial rejection of a custom as unreasonable or as otherwise failing to conform to the requirements of customary law. In the second place, the rule that a precedent has no abrogative power must be read subject to the maxim quod fieri non debit, factum valet. It is quite true that judges ought to follow the existing law whenever there is any such law to follow. They are appointed to fulfill the law, not to subvert it. But if, by inadvertence or otherwise, this rule is broken through, and a precedent is established which conflicts with pre-existing law, it does not follow from this alone that this decision is destitute of legal efficacy. For it is a well-known maxim of the law that a thing which ought not to have been done may nevertheless be valid when it is done. If, therefore, a precedent belongs to the class which is absolutely authoritative, it does not lose this authority simply because it is contrary to law and ought not to have been made. No court, for example, will be allowed to disregard a decision of the House of Lords on such a ground. It must be followed without question whether it is in harmony with prior law or not. So also with those which are merely conditionally authoritative. We have already seen that error is only one of two conditions, both of which are requisite to render allowable the disregard of such a precedent. And in this respect, it makes no difference whether the error consists in a conflict with law or in a conflict with reason. 
it may well be better to adhere to the new law which should not have been made than to recur to the old law which should not have been displaced section sixty seven grounds of the authority of precedents the operation of precedents is based on the legal presumption of the correctness of judicial decisions it is an application of the maxim res judicata pro veritate accipitur a matter once formally decided is decided once for all the courts will listen to no allegation that they have been mistaken nor will they reopen a matter once litigated and determined that which has been delivered in judgment must be taken for established truth for in all probability it is true in fact and even if not it is expedient that it should be held as true none the less expedit re publicae ut sit finis litium when therefore a question has once been judicially considered and answered it must be answered in the same way in all subsequent cases in which the same question again arises only through this rule can that consistency of judicial decision be obtained which is essential to the proper administration of justice hence the effect of judicial decisions in excluding the arbitrium judicus for the future in providing predetermined answers for the questions calling for consideration in future cases and therefore in establishing new principles of law the questions to which judicial answers are required are either questions of law or of fact to both kinds the maxim res judicata pro veritate accipitur is applicable in the case of questions of law this maxim means that the court is presumed to have correctly ascertained and applied the appropriate legal principle the decision operates therefore as proof of the law it is or at all events is taken to be a declaratory precedent if the law so declared is at all doubtful the precedent will be worth preserving as useful evidence of it but if the law is already clear and certain the precedent will be useless to preserve it would needlessly cumber the books of reports and it will be allowed to lapse into oblivion in the case of questions of fact on the other hand the presumption of the correctness of judicial decisions results in the creation of new law not in the declaration and proof of old the decision becomes in a large class of cases an original precedent that is to say the question thus answered ceases to be one of fact and becomes for the future one of law for the courts are now provided with a predetermined answer to it and it is no longer a matter of free judicial discretion the arbitrium judicus is now excluded by one of those fixed and authoritative principles which constitute the law for example the meaning of an ambiguous statute is at first a pure question of fact when for the first time the question arises whether the word cattle as used by the statute includes horses the court is bound by no authority to determine the matter in one way or the other the occasion is one for the exercise of common sense and interpretive skill but when the question has once been decided it is for the future one of law and no longer one of fact for it is incumbent on the courts in subsequent cases to act on the maxim res judicata pro veritate accipitur and to answer the question in the same way as before the operation of original precedents is therefore the progressive transformation of questions of fact into questions of law ex facto oritorius the growth of case law involves the gradual elimination of that judicial liberty to which it owes its origin 
in any system in which precedents are authoritative the courts are engaged in forging fetters for their own feet there is of course a limit to this process for it is absurd to suppose that the final result of legal development will be the complete transformation of all questions of fact into questions of law the distinction between law and fact is permanent and essential what then is the limit to what extent is precedent capable of effecting this absorption of fact into law in respect of this law creating operation of precedents questions of fact are divisible into two classes for some of them do and some do not admit of being answered on principle the former are those the answer to which is capable of assuming the form of a general principle the latter are those the answer to which is necessarily specific the former are answered by way of abstraction that is to say by the elimination of the immaterial elements in the particular case the result being a general rule applicable not merely to that single case but to all others which resemble it in its essential features the other class of questions consists of those in which no such process of abstraction no such elimination of immaterial elements as will give rise to a general principle is possible the answer to them is based on the circumstances of the concrete and individual case and therefore produces no rule of general application the operation of precedent is limited to one only of these classes of questions judicial decisions are a source of law only in the case of those questions of fact which admit of being answered on principle these only are transformed by decision into questions of law for in this case only does the judicial decision give rise to a rule which can be adopted for the future as a rule of law those questions which belong to the other class are permanently questions of fact and their judicial solution leaves behind it no permanent results in the form of legal principles for example the question whether the defendant did or did not make a certain statement is a question of fact which does not admit of any answer save one which is concrete and individual it cannot be answered on principle it necessarily remains therefore a pure question of fact the decision of it is no precedent and establishes no rule of law on the other hand the question whether the defendant in making such a statement was or was not guilty of fraud or negligence though it may be equally a question of fact nevertheless belongs to the other class of such questions it may well be possible to lay down a general principle on a matter such as this for it is a matter which may be dealt with in abstracto not necessarily in concreto if therefore the decision is arrived at on principle it will amount to an original precedent and the question together with every other essentially resembling it will become for the future a question of law predetermined by the rule thus established a precedent therefore is a judicial decision which contains in itself a principle the underlying principle which thus forms its authoritative element is often termed the ratio decidendi the concrete decision is binding between the parties to it but it is the abstract ratio decidende which alone has the force of law as regards the world at large the only use of authorities or decided cases says sir george jessel is the establishment of some principle which the judge can follow out in deciding the case before him the only thing says the same distinguished judge in another case in a judge's decision binding as an authority upon a subsequent judge 
is the principle upon which the case was decided. This is the true significance of the familiar contrast between authority and principle. It is often said by judges that inasmuch as the matter before them is not covered by authority, they must decide it upon principle. The statement is a sure indication of the impending establishment of an original precedent. It implies two things. First, that where there is any authority on the point, that is to say, where the question is already one of law, the duty of the judge is simply to follow the path so marked out for him. And secondly, that if there is no authority, and if therefore the question is one of pure fact, it is his duty, if possible, to decide it upon principle, that is to say, to formulate some general rule and to act upon it, thereby creating law for the future. It may be, however, that the question is one which does not admit of being answered either on authority or on principle, and in such a case a specific or individual answer is alone possible, no rule of law being either applied or created. Although it is the duty of courts of justice to decide questions of fact on principle if they can, they must take care in this formulation of principles to limit themselves to the requirements of the case in hand. That is to say, they must not lay down principles which are not required for the due decision of the particular case, or which are wider than is necessary for this purpose. The only judicial principles which are authoritative are those which are thus relevant in their subject matter and limited in their scope. All others, at the best, are of merely persuasive efficacy. They are not true rationes decidende, and are distinguished from them under the name of dicta, or obiter dicta, things said by the way. The prerogative of judges is not to make law by formulating and declaring it. This pertains to the legislature, but to make law by applying it. Judicial declaration unaccompanied by judicial application is of no authority. Section 68. The Sources of Judicial Principles Whence, then, do the courts derive those new principles, or rationes decidendi, by which they supplement the existing law? They are, in truth, nothing else than the principles of natural justice, practical expediency, and common sense. Judges are appointed to administer justice, justice according to law, so far as the law extends, but so far as there is no law, then justice according to nature. Where the civil law is deficient, the law of nature takes its place, and in so doing puts on its character also. But the rules of natural justice are not always such that any man may know them, and the light of nature is often but an uncertain guide. Instead of trusting to their own unguided instincts in formulating the rules of right and reason, the courts are therefore wisely in the habit of seeking guidance and assistance elsewhere. In establishing new principles, they willingly submit themselves to various persuasive influences which, though destitute of legal authority, have a good claim to respect and consideration. They accept a principle, for example, because they find it already embodied in some system of foreign law. For since it is so sanctioned and authenticated, it is presumably a just and reasonable one. In like manner, the courts give credence to persuasive precedents, to judicial dicta, to the opinions of text writers, and to any other forms of ethical or juridical doctrine which seem good to them. There is, however, one source of judicial principles which is of special importance and calls for special notice. This is the analogy of pre-existing law. 
new rules are very often merely analogical extensions of the old the courts seek as far as possible to make the new law the embodiment and expression of the spirit of the old of the ratio juris as the romans called it the whole thereby becomes a single and self-consistent body of legal doctrine containing within itself an element of unity and of harmonious development at the same time it must be remembered that analogy is lawfully followed only as a guide to the rules of natural justice it has no independent claim to recognition wherever justice so requires it is the duty of the courts in making new law to depart from the ratio juris antiqui rather than servilely to follow it it is surprising how seldom we find in judicial utterances any explicit recognition of the fact that in deciding questions on principle the courts are in reality searching out the rules and requirements of natural justice and public policy the measure of the prevalence of such ethical over purely technical considerations is the measure in which case law develops into a rational and tolerable system as opposed to an unreasoned product of authority and routine yet the official utterances of the law contain no adequate acknowledgment of this dependence on ethical influences the very considerations it has been well said which judges most rarely mention and always with an apology are the secret root from which the law draws all the juices of life the chief reason of this peculiarity is doubtless to be found in the fictitious declaratory theory of precedent and in the forms of judicial expression and reasoning which this theory has made traditional so long as judges affect to be looking for and declaring old law they cannot adequately express the principles on which they are in reality making new section sixty nine respective functions of judges and juries the division of judicial functions between judge and jury creates a difficulty in the theory of precedent which requires some consideration it is commonly said that all questions of fact are for the jury and all questions of law for the judge but we have already seen that original precedents are answers to questions of fact transforming them for the future into questions of law are such precedents then made by juries instead of by judges it is clear that they neither are nor can be no jury ever answers a question on principle it gives decisions but no reasons it decides in concreto not in abstracto in this respect the judicial action of juries differs fundamentally from that of judges the latter decide on principle whenever this is possible they formulate the ratio decidendi which underlies their decision they strive after the general and the abstract instead of adhering to the concrete and the individual hence it is that the decision of a judge may constitute a precedent while that of a jury cannot but in composite tribunals where the jury decides the facts and the judge the law how does the judge obtain any opportunity of establishing precedents and creating new law if the matter is already governed by law it will of course fall within his province but if it is not already so governed is it not a pure question of fact which must be submitted to the jury to the total destruction of all opportunity of establishing any precedent in respect of it the truth of the matter is that although all questions of law are for the judge it is very far from being true that all questions of fact are for the jury there are very extensive and important portions of the sphere of fact which fall within the jurisdiction of the judge 
and it is within those portions that the law-creating operation of judicial decisions takes place. No jury, for example, is ever asked to interpret a statute, or speaking generally, any other written document. Yet, unless there is already some authoritative construction in existence, this is pure matter of fact. Hence, that great department of case law, which has its origin in the judicial interpretation of statute law. The general rule, consistently acted on, though seldom expressly acknowledged, is that a judge will not submit to a jury any question which he is himself capable of answering on principle. Such a question he answers for himself, for since it can be answered on principle, it provides a fit occasion for the establishment of a precedent and a new rule of law. It ought to be a matter of law, and can only become what it ought to be, by being kept from the jury and answered in abstracto by the judge. The only questions which go to a jury are those questions of fact which admit of no principle, and are therefore the appropriate subject matter of those concrete and unreasoned decisions which juries give. We have said that this rule, though acted on, is not expressly acknowledged. The reason is that judges are enabled to avoid the acknowledgement through recourse to the declaratory theory of precedent. As between judge and jury, this theory is still in full force and effect, although when the rights and privileges of juries are not concerned, the courts are ready enough at the present day to acknowledge the essential truth of the matter. As between judge and jury, questions of fact are withdrawn from the exclusive cognizance of the latter by means of the legal fiction that they are already questions of law. They are treated proleptically as being already that which they are about to become. In a completely developed legal system, they would be already true questions of law. The principle for their decision would have been already authoritatively determined. Therefore, the judges make bold to deal with them as being already that which they ought to be, and thus the making of the law by way of precedent is prevented from openly infringing upon the rights of juries to decide all questions which have not already been decided by the law. Summary. Precedence. Declaratory. Evidence of old law. Original. Sources of new law. The declaratory theory of precedent. Precedents are authoritative or persuasive. Persuasive are foreign decisions, decisions in other parts of the empire, privy council decisions, and judicial dicta. Authoritative precedents can be absolutely authoritative, decisions of superior court, decisions of house of lords, decisions of court of appeal, or conditionally authoritative, all others. Conditions of the disregard of a precedent. 1. Decision erroneous, contrary to law or unreasonable. 2. Rejection of it not mischievous as unsettling the law. Effect of lapse of time on precedents. Distinction between overruling and refusing to follow. Precedents constitutive and not abrogative. Qualifications of the rule. Ground of the authority of precedent. The progressive transformation of fact into law. Rationes decidende. The determination of questions on principle and on authority. Judicial dicta contrasted with judicial decisions. Sources of judicial principles. Respective functions of judge and jury. End of section 14. Recording by Colleen McMahon.